What we're going to do is we're going to look at uh, the children of God in the Old Testament, the Israelites, and uh, as they prepared to head into the promised land and come into everything that God had promised them. And so uh, next week we're going to be looking at uh, a passage in the book of Numbers. This week we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 33. So if you have a Bible, uh, you may want to turn to that passage in the Bible now. And I'll get to it in a little while. Um, We'll see, actually, as we look into this story of the Israelites coming into the promised land, uh, that it wasn't straightforward. There were a number of uh, things that happened, which will serve as warnings to us in a sense. Uh, but as well as that, we'll also see God's grace, and we'll see God's faithfulness in spite of the faithlessness and rebellion of the Israelites. And hopefully we'll be encouraged as we look at Moses and we look at Joshua, uh, whose faith were strengthened despite their circumstances and despite fear of those around them and even in themselves sometimes and despite the sinfulness of others around them. And as I'm bringing these two messages, I'm believing that these are particularly pertinent, particularly relevant messages for City Church at a time when you're heading into what Dan has described as the second half. Uh, A new day is dawning. Uh, City Church does have a new leader now who will soon be joined by uh, one and then maybe more new, well, I'm sure more new elders. And also on Friday, if you were at the family night, you will have heard Dan outline some of the ways in which he believes God is leading the church forward into this second half. Um, but the vision of City Church, the vision of the church here is the same as it has always been. The promised land in that sense is the same as it's always been. We're looking and believing that God will bring about a vibrant church here in Sheffield. Seeing people saved and added, walking with God daily in holiness. Uh, Looking to see a diverse church reflecting the whole makeup of the city. Built upon some of the foundations, the key foundations of prayer and the word of God. Love of the word of God. Moving in the power of the Spirit, seeing the kingdom extended into this city and beyond, reaching and influencing nations. That's what we're believing for. That's what we've always been believing for, a city church. And that happens in many different ways. And today we're going to be looking at Exodus 33, where we'll see that despite the importance of all that God has promised, all those things, the promised land set ahead of them, Moses Never lose a sight. He never loses sight of the most important thing of all. And I want to encourage us this morning that we should never lose sight of it either. And before I get into reading the passage, let me just give you a little bit of background as to what's happened so far in Exodus. God first meets with Moses in Exodus and chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, and that's the bush that uh, is burning. It looks like it's burning, but it's not consumed with fire, and uh, that is where God meets him. And in verse 5, God says to Moses, don't come any closer, take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy ground. And then he goes on and he says, I've seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them. And uh, he sends Moses, he says, Moses, you're the man, you're the one who I am sending to go to Pharaoh, who is oppressing all of the Israelites in Egypt. I'm sending you to him, and you are going to be the one who's going to lead them out of slavery, out of Egypt, and towards and ultimately into 
the promised land. The land flowing with milk and honey. He said, it's the same promise that I gave to Abraham all those years ago. It's the same promise that I repeated to Isaac and to Jacob. That is the promise. And you're going to lead, you, Moses, are going to be the one who leads these people out of slavery in Egypt. Now, Moses, of course, was nervous about it. I mean, you would be, wouldn't you? He was nervous. We get nervous sometimes when we're asked to do things, and we think, well, I don't want to go on my own. And that's pretty much what Moses was like. I don't want to go on my own. Who are you going to send with me? I want you to go with me. It's a bit like now, we've got our kids, we sometimes, they've got pocket money, and if they decide they want to buy something in a shop, well, we say, okay, well, that's fine, here's your money, but you go. You go and, de- and, and deal with it. You go and do the purchase. You go and speak to the shopkeeper and get, make sure you're getting the right change and all of that. And at first, when they started doing that, they were nervous. Of course they were. Oh, I don't know if I want to go up there on my own. Oh, will you go with me? And we say, oh, yeah. And so maybe you go with them the first time, but you train them to do that. You know, kids are like that, aren't they? Kids want to be with you the whole time. When you have young kids, they want to be with you absolutely the whole time. You know, you, you can't go to the toilet without them. So, oh, there they are. They're in there with you. Yeah. Because it gives them a measure of confidence and security. They soon learn not to be in the toilet with you. But it gives them, a, it gives them a measure of confidence and security to be around you. And Moses, at that point, was, that's what he was saying. He was saying, You know, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And it says in verse 12 of chapter 3, and God says, I will be with you. God says, I'm going to go with you. I'm not going to send you on my own, on your own. I will be with you. And so eventually Moses agreed. And of course, God was with him as Moses stood before Pharaoh and saw God miraculously deliver his people. So now Moses has led the people out of slavery. They're in the wilderness and Moses has actually gone up Mount Sinai to receive the law of God and to be sent into the promised land. And if you read a number of chapters there, uh, you see in Exodus chapter 23 that God says, look, I'm sending you into this land. Exodus 23 and verse 20. See, I'm sending an angel ahead of you to guard along the way and bring you to the place I have prepared. And he says, look, listen to what the angel says. So he's sending them into the promised land. But also, God is receiving the law from, uh, sorry, Moses is receiving the law from God. And he's been up there for a long time. He's been up there for a long time. This is the, probably the longest, probably Moses has been with them the whole time up until now. And he goes up the mountain, and it's like, well, where's Moses? Where's Moses gone? And the people are starting to, 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 to get nervous. They're starting to get anxious. They're starting to grumble. Well, what's going on? We're here in this desert. We just, you know, okay, we're being fed, but what's happening? And they start to rebel. They get Aaron, who is Moses' brother, and say, look, let's build an, make an idol. Aaron goes along with it. He, he makes, he melts down all the gold and Outcomes, well, not outcomes, actually. Aaron says, out popped this idol. <laughs> but Aaron actually fashions an idol, of a calf, out of gold. And they start to worship it. And sometimes it can be difficult. And we can, we can get like that when there seems to be maybe a lack of, of leadership. Or, or maybe actually God doesn't appear to be doing anything. There can be times when we just think, what's happening? What's happening in the church? Where's it going? It doesn't, we just seem to be in the same place. 
And we must learn faithfully to wait and not get discouraged, not grumble, not turn to other things. I thought it was very helpful this morning to hear it's not the what we're trusting in, it's the who we're trusting in. The Israelites started turning to the what. Oh, let's, let's, let's worship this idol. No, no, no. It's not what we're trusting in. It's who we're trusting in. We're trusting in God. And of course, God is angry with the Israelites and, and many of them die and, uh, at the hand of God at that point. And so we come to chapter 33, which we're going to read verses 1 through to 18. I very nearly said 1 through 18 there, which is the Canadian way of saying it, but uh, 1 to 18, we'll say. Uh, let's read that. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hevites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go with you, because you're a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites you're a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young assistant Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I'm pleased with you, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. So now, in Exodus 33, we see God telling Moses, go, leave the wilderness and enter in to the promised land, the land which has been promised. This is the moment. This is the moment where they're about to go. The moment that this whole thing has been building up to, right back from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and then coming out of uh, out of Egypt and, and going round through into the desert. And now God is saying, now is the time. Now is the time to go through. God says, I will send an angel with you. I'm going to send an angel before you to drive out all the enemies. 
to drive out the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites, Perizzites, Hevites and Jebusites. Wow. And this is the land flowing with milk and honey. It's a good land. It's a good land. This sounds amazing. I mean, it just sounds amazing, doesn't it? God is saying, you've been waiting all of this time, and now you're going to go into it. And yeah, there's people in the land. There's people in the land. There's the enemy. But you know what? I'm sending an angel. He's going to go before you. You're just going to walk behind this angel, and the angel's going to knock everyone down dead. And you're just going to enter the land. Amazing. That is brilliant. I mean, can you believe it? Who wouldn't want that deal? Talk about success. You know, if God said to us, right, City Church, now is the time. You can go into Sheffield and beyond. You can launch new congregations. People will flock to you. There'll be queues outside the buildings everywhere you go. You'll be talking to people about about me and people will say oh what must I do to be saved you'll be baptizing many many people Uh, there'll be no obstacles there'll be no problems at all you know this angel's going before you he's going to sort everything out for you wow very easy great stuff but and there's a but and it's a big but God says I'm not going with you I'm not going with you because of the people's sin. See, I'm a God who keeps my promises. You will enter into this land, but you'll be going without me. You'll be going without me. And the people were distressed. The people heard this news and they weren't rejoicing over their land full of milk and honey. They were distressed because of God's judgment on them and because he wasn't going with them. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn. For the Lord had said, tell the Israelites, you're a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. They'd heard news which in any other circumstance would have been wonderful, fantastic news, but they were distressed about it. And Moses was distressed too. You know, he was able to enter into the promised land. What was, what was it that was so distressing for us? Surely it would be exciting. You know, we, for us, what, what would it be for us? I don't know. It, it, it could be, it could be gathering hundreds, even thousands, becoming a huge church. Maybe, maybe everyone's thinking well of us. Maybe the media are, are coming, getting our attention. Maybe we're just thinking, wow, this is amazing. But for Moses, for Moses, it was God's presence that he most desired. That was the thing that was so important to Moses. More than the success of defeating God's enemies, more than the delights of having the promised land, more than going into the land flowing with milk and honey, more than having an angel going before them, more than the miracles, Moses desired God's presence. He desired God. That's what God had promised him all the way back in Exodus chapter 3. I will be with you. And when he promised Moses that, that was because Moses was fearful. But now it's not about fear. 
Now Moses isn't saying, I'm too scared to go in. Because there's an angel going before them and he's going to wipe everyone out. So there's no fear there. It's not about fear now. It's about relationship. It's because Moses has got to know God. After a while, when we have kids, they want to be with us. They want to go places with us. Not because they're scared, but because they know us. And because they love us. And like I say, fortunately, they don't feel the need to be in the toilet with us anymore. But they want to be with us. Because of relationship. Because of love. Moses had been very used to that relationship. Moses had been used to knowing what it was to be in relationship with God. We see in verse 7, don't we? Moses used to take this tent... And pitch it outside the, the, the camp. And he used to go and he used to enter the tent. And as he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud, the presence of God would come down and stay at the entrance of the tent. And everyone's worshipping. And God spoke to Moses. This is the God who created the heavens and the earth. Fearsome God. The God who's just wiped out many of those Rebellious people, if you read Exodus 32. And God speaks to Moses as a man would speak with his friend. There's an intimacy there. There's an intimacy there between Moses and God. And Moses loves it. He loves it. He goes and he gets to know him. He encounters the presence of God. What a privilege. Joshua's there too. Joshua, who is the assistant of Moses, the young assistant, he's there with Moses in the tent. And and even when Moses goes back from the tent, Moses, oh, it's time to go back into the camp. Come on, Joshua, are you coming with me? Joshua's saying, no, 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 I'm staying here. I'm staying here. God's here. I don't want to go back to to the camp. I'm staying here. Joshua's encountering The presence of God. And he doesn't want to be anywhere else. He doesn't want to be anywhere else. He stays there. I remember times when we've known the presence of God come in unusual power here in Sheffield. I remember going to a meeting. This was when we were were gathering back at, uh, you know, in, in, in our old building back in Walkley. I remember a meeting. We lived around the corner. And God was moving powerfully in the mid-90s. And uh, we'd meet regularly. And we'd meet just because people wanted to, to be in the presence of God. That's why people went. Just gathered. God's here. God is here in an unusual way. And so people were there. We were there till about 11 o'clock one night. 11 o'clock. And we went home, me and Debbie. And uh, we went into our house about 10 minutes walk away. We sat down, put the kettle on. And we're thinking, well, what should we do now? Should we, should we just put a bit of TV on before, before we go to bed? And then we looked at each other and said, do you know what? Let's go back. Let's go back. I'm sure there'll still be some people there because God's there. We went back. It was about half past 11 at night. The place was still packed. We stayed for another hour or two just in God's presence. It was late. We were tired. People got worn out. But, but God was there. God was there. In unusual power. 
And that's where we wanted to be. That's what, that's what Joshua was wanting. We see the same thing in the New Testament with Jesus and his disciples. You know, they've been with Jesus for three years. And you get to John chapter 13. And Jesus is explaining that he's not going to be with them for much longer. He says in verse 31, Now is the Son of Man glorified and God glorified in him. Verse 33, he says, My little children, I'll be with you only a little longer. You'll look for me and and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you, where I'm going, you cannot come. And, And in verse 36, Simon says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus says, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Jesus gives them a promise. I'm going away, but but don't worry. You'll be able to follow me where I'm going later on. But they've been with him for three years. They've been in the presence of God for three years. And so Peter says, "Um, why, Lord? Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. There's a desperation there to say, don't leave us. Go away from us. You can't leave us on our own, Jesus. They've come to a recognition that this is God. They've had the privilege of walking with God for three whole years. And now he's saying, I'm leaving you. And they're saying, no. Peter's saying, I'll die for you. Now, of course, when it comes to it, he's he's human and he, he denies Jesus and and Jesus knows he's going to do that. But, but he's expressing genuine sentiment. He's expressing genuine feeling. Jesus, I don't want to be anywhere else. Sometimes, there's a, earlier on in John's gospel, others start leaving Jesus because he's teaching hard things for them to hear. And Jesus turns to the disciples and says, well, are you going as well? And they say, Lord, where else will we go? Where else can we go? You've got the words of eternal life. They're not thinking of just something down the line. They're saying, wow, we can't go anywhere else. You've ruined us for everything. Going back to our jobs, going back to our old life. Can't imagine it, God. Can't imagine it. We just want to be with you. Whatever you're doing, great, we'll be there. We just want to be with you. But of course, after the resurrection... After the resurrection, Jesus comes and he meets again with his disciples. And he says in Matthew chapter 28, he gives them a commission. He tells them what, what he's, he's, he's calling them to do. You know, some, some pretty big stuff. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. You know, it's like, it's like, wow, this is the big stuff. No, the big stuff comes next. And surely, I am with you, always, to the very ends of the age. I'm not leaving you again. Now, he does physically leave them, but he sends his Holy Spirit That's what he's talking about. That's what he's been explaining to his disciples. He says, so you go and do the stuff. You go and make disciples. You go and baptize. You go and build a church. You do all of these things. But don't forget the most important thing. And they weren't going to forget it. I am with you. Always. To the very 
end of the age. So he does. They wait. They wait until they hear God. They wait for the Spirit to come. And then in Acts 2, the Spirit comes. And Peter preaches and they know he's back. He's with us. Terry, when he was with us, preached an amazing message on that, didn't he? He's back. God's back. That's what it's about. And Peter, preaching on that day, says, Repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of your Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. Not only is Jesus going to be with these disciples on into eternity, he's going to be with everyone that God calls. That is us. He's with us. We can know Jesus through the Holy Spirit. We can know God. We've got the same commission as the disciples. The same commission. We don't have a promised land in that sense to enter into. But there is a promise. There is promises. There is work to be done. There is a commission ahead of us. We've been given promises by God. But we need to remember the most important thing of all as we go forward. God wants us to desire his presence above all things. It's his presence that we need. It's amazing. He's promised it us. He's promised it us. We often pray, don't we, for different things. We often pray, oh God, will you, will you give me your peace in this situation? God, will you give me courage in this situation? God, will you give me power? God, will you give me wisdom? And God says, I will give you myself. I'll give you myself. I'll give you my presence with you. You can know almighty God. We can know almighty God. That's why Moses mourned when he heard the word from God that he wouldn't go with them. This was a disaster of inconceivable proportion. You can't imagine how much of a disaster this was. It was terrible. God is leaving them. See, it's important to remember this is far more than the general omnipresence of God. You know what omnipresence means? It just means God's, God's everywhere. God's everywhere all the time. We, we know that. We teach that. God is, God, he's omnipotent. He's everywhere. That's not something that we are to settle for. We're not meant to settle for, oh, of course God's here. God, yeah, God's, God's here in the room. Of course he is. Yeah? Sometimes people, you get preachers up the front, they'll say, oh, you know, God's here today. Or the presence of God is here. Some, sometimes people think they're being smart. They go, oh, of course he's here. He's everywhere, isn't he? It's different. This is different. This isn't just the general presence of God everywhere. We're not to settle for that. We're talking about God's manifest presence. The Israelites had a pillar of cloud leading them on, or fire. They had miracles of manna every day. They knew the miracles of God's deliverance from Egypt. And they got the tent of meeting, where God's very presence would come down as everyone worshipped. They had the manifest presence of God. And yes, they'd become a rebellious, grumbling people. But even in the midst of all this, they knew that to lose that presence... To lose that presence of God was to lose everything. 
They were going to lose everything. They might gain the promised land. They might gain victory over the enemies. But if God wasn't with them, they've lost everything. Everything. Yeah, they, they kind of only realized it when God said, I'm not going with you. Only just before, they were like, well, what's going on? Oh, let's worship some idol. Let's see if we can get something. So they'd forgotten about God. It wasn't long, really. Maybe 40 days Moses was at the mountain. They'd forgotten. But now it's like, oh, they've realized the enormity of it. They'd taken for granted all of the things that God had done. All of the things that God was doing. I wonder, do we realize that today? Do we, do we sometimes take for granted what we have? Do we take for granted that we have the presence of God? Do we take for granted that we can meet with God and pray to God face to face? Almost as, uh, or in the same way as Moses, as a man does with his friend. We can talk with God. We can have intimacy with God. Or do we just slip into a life full of activity? Even activity for God. And miss out on the greater thing of knowing God and speaking to him. And of course, yes, God gives us work to do. But, but this activity comes in and through God. Are we looking for God to be at work? Or are we just busy being at work ourselves? Do we gather here on a Sunday just because that's what we do? It's what we do on a Sunday. We gather together. Or do we come with expectation that God's manifest presence is going to meet with us by his Holy Spirit? Do we come desperate for God's presence? How would we respond if God said to us, do you know what, you can have all of these things, but you're not having my presence in your meetings anymore. I'm not, I'm not coming into your meetings anymore. But, but you can have all this. You can have the promises. You can have the big church. You can have the profile. You can have the favor. But you're losing me. How would we respond to that? See, churches can look successful very easily. Churches can get a lot of people gathering. Churches can have great worship bands who are very good at what they do. They can have very cool music. They can have wonderful, charismatic personalities and dynamic preachers. They can be serving the poor, putting on great programs. It can look like God's at work. But do you know it's possible to do all that without the presence of God? It's possible to do all that without the supernatural. It's possible to do all that without the impossible, without the presence. And we can be busy with all those things of God and end up missing out on God himself. You know, as, as we look back, as I look back on my time here in Sheffield, I've been in Sheffield here, part of this church ever since it started. 17, 18 years ago. And in Sheffield before that, to the previous church. But in that time of city church, we've been involved in some wonderful things. We've, we've run a kids club. We've loved doing that. I loved running kids club. It was amazing. And we had kids coming from all over, and we had a great team. It was amazing to have some of them come over to Canada the other month. Wonderful. 
You know, we've been involved in big evangelistic projects. We, we had a big tent in Hillsborough Park, you know, a huge big thing. We gathered people, we were up in communities doing different projects, uh, DIY projects, gardening. We were having youth work, that's how many kids started out by doing that. L- wonderful projects and things that we've been involved in, De- advice, some of the things that are going on now, amazing. JDAC, Grub Club, not JDAC, what's it called now, Jubilee, mm, something. Oh, I forget. Money, that's it. Jubilee Money. Food bank. All of those things. Amazing. Do you know the best times of all? The best times of all have been some of the prayer meetings. Going along to those prayer meetings. Calling out on God. And God meeting with us. Sometimes we'd walk out and just, wow, God was here today. That was amazing. You'd go back home and people would be putting on Facebook, what an amazing meeting. You'd be gutted if you didn't go to the one. And then people were saying, what an amazing meeting. I missed it. I was away. Oh, no. Because we met with God. We still do meet with God. Some of the meetings here on a Sunday morning, we come away, we've met with God. They're better than everything. It's better than anything. It's just wonderful. It's the most important thing. So what did Moses do? What did Moses do about this situation back in, uh, in Exodus 33? He goes and talks with God at the tent of meeting. Moses said to God, and, and he, he, he pleads with him on behalf of the people. And he starts out with what God has said to him personally. He says, look, God, you've been telling me, lead these people. He says, but you've not, you've not let me know whom you'll send with me. He's like, well, in a sense, God has. I'm sending an angel before you. And Moses is going, no, 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 that's not good enough. The angel doesn't cut it. He's had God with him. Last time it was, who are you sending with me? And God says, I'll go with you. God, who are you sending with me? You've said, I know you by name. And you found favor with me. Moses knew that. Moses knew that. He'd been meeting with God face to face. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Then he extends it to the nation. Remember as well, this nation is your people. God says, my presence will go with you. I will give you rest. It's a bit ambiguous who he's talking to, but I think he's talking to Moses there. I think he's saying, yeah, God, yeah, Moses, I do know you. I have found favor with you. I will go with you. I will give you rest. The reason I think that is because Moses says straight away, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Moses is saying, I want you to go with us. Go with us. And he he, he starts to intercede. He starts to call out before God. Moses says, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up. How will anyone know you're pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all other people on the face of the earth? Moses has, has realized, hasn't he? He's realized that's what makes them different from anyone else. Lots of people can go into lands and, and conquer and have victory and, and conquer other armies and things like that. That was happening all the time. What's making them different? The presence of God. No one's gonna, no one's gonna know the difference, Moses is saying. Your presence is the difference. And wonderfully, wonderfully, God agrees. The Lord says to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked. B 
because I am pleased with you and know you by name. Why did God do what Moses asked? Because he knew Moses. He was going to destroy. He said, I'm going to destroy these rebellious ones. The ones who were at the bottom of the mountain were making the calf. But, but you, Moses, okay, I found favor with you, Moses. You were with me. You were up the mountain with me. We were talking face to face. It's that lot. So, yeah, I'll go with you. And then, Moses, and then God says, no, no, okay. Because I know you, because I found favor with you, I'll extend that favor to the people. Even though they don't deserve it. Even though they're a stiff-necked people. Even though, if I went with them, I would destroy them because of their sin. It wasn't because they deserved it. It's purely God's grace. It's purely because of God's pleasure with one man. They'd not kept the law. Moses had just received the law. What was the first law? You shall have no other gods but me. Oh, okay, that's the first one. Let's go down. Oh, they've got another god. Straight away. Shall not make uh, idols, graven images. Oh, they've done that as well. You know, they're breaking the commandments even before they've got them. They can't keep them. Later on, when they, when they receive them, they go, oh yeah, we'll do that. No, you won't. They were never going to do it. They were never going to be able to get We're never able to live holy lives before God. But because God had favor on Moses, he went. He said, I'll go with you. His grace. Fast forward to Jesus. At Jesus' baptism comes the same declaration of favor. Matthew 3, 17. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my son and I'm pleased with him. God's favor. God the Father's favor is on his son, Jesus. And because it's on his son, it's extended wider to us. On the cross. Jesus cries out, not for himself in Luke 23 and verse 34. He cries out, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. They have no idea what they're doing. But Father, forgive them. The Israelites didn't have any idea what they were doing. We in our lives, before we come to know God, have no idea what we're doing. We rebel, we turn away from God, we seek after other things. The Bible says we hate God. We don't want to know. We're not seeking after him. But because Jesus says, forgive them, he stands in our place. And God says, because I have found favor with you, I will go with them. I will extend my presence. I will find favor with them. We can know the favor and forgiveness of God because Jesus knew the favor and, forg- and love of God. And that's the only reason we can know it. Because otherwise God would destroy us. He would. It's amazing grace. We can know God. So what was Moses' response? What was Moses' response to God saying, okay, I'll go with you? Was it to say, oh God, you know what? We won't let you down this time. We're going to do so well. I'll beat them into shape. You know? A bit like Nehemiah did. He beat some of them into shape, didn't he? (laughs) 
And they started going off. Moses didn't do that. He didn't say, I'll make sure they stay on the, stay on the right path. I'll make sure they keep this law. I'll be a hard taskmaster. But you know, trust me, rely on me. We'll work really hard for you. We won't mess it up again. We'll pay you back. We'll promise. Sometimes we can do that. Oh God, okay, thank you for saving me. You know, I'm gonna pay you back. We can't pay God back. We can't pay God back. God doesn't need anything from us in that sense. And there's no way that we, it's, it's ridiculous to think we can. It's arrogant to think we can. What did Moses say? What was his response? He said in verse 18, now show me your glory. Show me your glory. Moses' response was, I want your presence more. Thank you, God, that you're going with us. Please, let me know you more. Show me your glory. Show us your glory. Come and be with us again. He was desperate for more of the presence of God. And God allowed him to see it. God allowed him to see it. And, and when he came back down from the mountain again, uh, it says in Exodus 34 and verse 30, it says, it says his face was radiant. He'd known God's glory again. This is the appropriate response to God's grace. God forgives us. God comes. He gives us his Holy Spirit. He's in relationship with us. What's our appropriate response? Not to work harder for him. Not to say, I'll give you 10% of my money. Or whatever it is. Or I'll give you this. Not to say, I'll work and do this and give this time. Not to say, okay, I'll serve in the youth work. I'll serve tea and coffee. I'll, I'll work on, on, on Jubilee money. Or whatever it is. That's not our response to God's grace and mercy. Our response, the appropriate response to God's grace and mercy is, show us your glory, Lord. We want to know more of you. You've promised us this. You've given us this. And God, that's what we want. We want more. We want more. More of your manifest presence in our midst. Why? It's what makes us different from everyone else on the face of the earth. That's the difference. Anyone can run a food bank if they've got some money and got some resource. Anyone can put different projects on. Anyone can run a meeting. Anyone can get some musicians. Anyone can do any of those things. But we can't manufacture God's presence with us. And let's never lose that. Let's never push it to the side in favor of saying, oh, we need to appeal to more people in our meetings. Or we're going to get some unbelievers coming in. We don't want too much of God. It might freak people out. This is what makes us different. We're here seeking God. We don't push God's presence aside. Oh, well, maybe one meeting every month we'll get together. We'll make sure no one else comes in. And then we'll experience God's presence. What? When we gather together, we want to experience God. God's glory isn't promised to anyone else. God's glory isn't promised to golf clubs or to political groups or even to Christian homes or mission agencies or parachurch organizations. Many of those do very good things. But Paul says in Ephesians 3.21, to him be glory in the church. It's the church that God promises his glory to. It's the church that Jesus died for. If you read through the rest of Ephesians, you'll see it clearly. It's about the church. 
Other groups can and do do some great works, but it's, they're not the church. The church is the bride of Christ. It's the church that Jesus gave his life for. That's why this church is here in Sheffield right now to know God's presence. That's it. Everything else comes from that. But we are here to know God's presence. Is that what we're seeking? It's the only thing worth seeking. Everything else follows on. Let me urge you to hunger, thirst, long for the presence of God every time we gather together as the church. Let's call on God for the things that we can't do ourselves. Let's be open to him moving amongst us, strengthening us, leading us, speaking to us. We've got the privilege of knowing his presence in a way that no other groups on earth do. If we don't have that, we might as well go and do what everyone else is doing on a Sunday. We might as well have a lie-in on a Sunday morning and go to Meadowhall or a car boot sale or whatever people do to try and find some sort of meaning in their life. Why would we want to do that? And we can meet with God. If God's not with us, though, why, why would we bother joining an, a, a midweek core group? Why would we bother going there out on an evening? Some good TV on, probably. Better than Canadian TV, anyway. <laughs> why would we go out on a Friday night at the end of work and pray? Whew. Isn't there better things to do? No. There's not. There's not. Because that's where God is. God's everywhere. No, but God's manifest presence. He's promised to the church. We can welcome him in our midst. Let's never lose sight of it. Let's never lose sight of it. We can do great exploits of faith. We're going to maybe look at that a bit next week. But only if we know his presence. And no matter what age we are, we can know God's presence. You know, sometimes when I've been to, to New Day or spoken at youth things, I've heard, I've heard young people or speakers to young people speak about wanting to have a, an attitude like Joshua. I want to be part of the Joshua generation. I want to have the faith like Joshua. I want to have the passion of Joshua, going into the promised land, leading the people into it. You know, we're going to look more at that next week. But where did that faith, where did that single-mindedness, where did that passion come from? It came from him being in the tent of meeting with Moses and saying, I'm not even leaving here. I want to know God. That's where his faith came from. That's where his character came from, from knowing God. City Church, you have had a Moses-like leader in Arnold. We have had a Moses-like leader in Arnold. He led us out from a place of slavery. Slavery to things like legalism, to duty, to religion. And he always held on to the promise of what God had set before us. And now you're being led by Dan. A Joshua. He's been with Arnold as Joshua was with Moses. He knows what it is to stay close to the presence of God. That's the most important thing to Dan. I know him. I've had the privilege of of serving and knowing him as as his friend for years. That's his biggest passion of all. Do you know what? He will lead you well. He will lead you well. Follow him. Follow his example. I do believe that God's got a great future for City Church. 
I believe that you'll serve and do great things in serving God. I believe there'll be great exploits of faith. But let me urge you never to grow accustomed or lose sight of the wonder of knowing God's manifest presence amongst us. Because it's what we're here for. It makes us different from everyone else on the face of the earth. Let's pray.